71-yard touchdown, running in the first place for number one. Harris drops back, fades to the left, pressure on, and he goes down. Ja'Garrett Davis gets home, and the all-black sideline explodes here in Hamilton. Torn to five, it went through Marcus Dale's hands, and Kyron Moore, the presence of mind to catch it and step out of bounds at the five with 20 seconds to go. Pressure loads it up, goes down the field, taking a shot into the end zone. He caught it. Touchdown, Tigertown. Brandon Banks, how did he do it? It is the breakdown. Welcome to the show, everybody. It is at TSN underscore Marsh, myself, Marshall Ferguson. And of course, right here on the other side of the Zoom, a man who calls games for a team who appears they're going to have people in the stands. It's at DT on SC, Derek Taylor. Uh, DT, tell people what happened on the sports cage today on Tuesday, June 1st. Welcome to June, everybody. But what happened Uh, on the sports cage today when it came to breaking news? Saskatchewan Premier Scott Moe announced today, hey, vaccinations are fantastic. And if we continue like this, and if 70% of the population, 12 years old and older, has their first, pardon me, apparently I need a vaccine for this cup, has a a vaccine, uh, we could have no restrictions in the province period as early as June 11th. That's in 10 days. (laughs) Uh, Pardon me. Oh, pardon me. July. Oh, oh, I was going to say, I was like, I didn't, I didn't think a premier was going to come out and be like, Hey, 10 days from now we're good. Uh, But I did. I I did. (laughs) Well, you got, you got excited and I don't blame you for getting excited, but because July 11th is still awesome. But uh, at the same time, I had a laugh with one of my friends over the weekend who used to live in Alberta and he goes, uh, Hey, did you, uh, did you hear about what's happening in, in Alberta, Calgary? Did you hear what, what they announced over there? I'm like no, honestly, I I haven't I haven't really been keeping up on the news all that much. He said, "Yeah, they just decided once we hit July, pandemic's just over." <laughs> it's like they, stampede's they, on. Yeah, they said over. they set a due date for it. They're just like, "All right, cool. Yeah, let's uh, let's just yeah, let's wrap this yeah. thing up. I think we're all good now." So, um, you know, some places I think are doing it because their numbers are really really strong, and, and I mean that in a good sense. Like the vaccination numbers are really good. Other places, I think, are just doing it because they've just decided that they're done with this stuff. I think you guys are in the right, like from everything that I have yeah. seen, and you know more about the numbers in that part of the country than I do. But uh, as I sit here in Hamilton and I continue to see pretty good increases in all of the stuff that you want to see increases in and pretty good decreases in all the stuff you want to see decreases in, uh, I look around at the the momentum is certainly building and I hope that what we heard from today in Saskatchewan starts to get sprinkled across the remainder of the country where everybody else is, I think, hearing this Riders announcement that you guys had today with Craig Reynolds from the Riders and, and just probably looking around at their own team and going, so where does this leave us? Like, where are yeah. we going to go from here? Yeah, so there may be no restrictions in July. Craig Reynolds, you mentioned the president and CEO of the Riders, said we're still going to be very cautious with the players. So things like meet a player, greet a player, hug a player probably don't happen regardless of what goes on from from here on in with the vaccine and and the virus so that they can keep COVID from wrecking a CFL team like it wrecked the Vancouver Canucks for a while, right? So that kind of stuff, we probably have to go without as fans in 2021, but ultimately super encouraging when you think of, well, July 11th, and that leaves even some time before the proposed August 5th start to the season. Alberta's set to crank it open. Manitoba is a fun one, right? They're allowing they're allowing folks to go to that hockey game on Wednesday, game one with the Habs. But I don't think that's because they're in a great spot. I think it's because Montreal did it, honestly. I think that's why. Yeah, well, that's what I'm thinking about the Riders, though, DT, is I think that it's going to start putting pressure on other teams to say, yeah. like, how much can you lobby your governments or your public health officials to get this because they're getting this in Saskatchewan? And I think the response to a lot of teams in a lot of worse-off provinces is going to be, you're not Saskatchewan. Like, you, yeah, don't, you, don't, you, you don't have the influence. And I think that that's going to create a, an amazing television experience, honestly, and a great radio call for you for home games. If you have fans in home games and a lot of other stadiums don't, um, I don't blame Craig Reynolds for saying he wants to keep the players in-house a little bit going forward. Because, again, if we get the games, I don't think we're going to be crying about missing an autograph or two that will be readily available in the near future. But the idea of, 
having the uh, the Stampeders and the Riders play on Thursday afternoons at 1 p.m. like we just saw the Canucks and Flames towards the end of the regular season is like we don't need to get ourselves into that. I don't think that's the goal for anybody, but uh, I, I do think that yeah. we are we're going to start to see some other teams in the next week or two start to announce what their plan is or who they're working with to try and find some solutions. And then the real question becomes, how soon does the CFL confirm the August 5th start? And how soon after, or is it the same day that they come out and they release the schedule? Because I've talked to multiple people, as I'm sure you have, there's schedules in hand. They work through a bunch of different versions, but the schedule's ready to go. And they're just holding the schedule at this point to make sure that they're not going to release a schedule and sell single game tickets for all this stuff and then have to say, oops, we did it again and shut everything down. And so they are, they're ready to go and everything's trending the right direction. And it, it becomes a question now after we hear this writer's news of when does that come to fruition? Like when does somebody give the green light, assuming it's Commissioner Randy Ambrosi, it might be other people involved. When does that green light actually get you? They flip a switch and they say, go. And when, when that happens, I mean, the floodgates are open and not that we're back to normalcy, but it's as close to normalcy on a football field as we've seen in the CFL in damn near two years. Yeah. We're for that. We're looking at probably next week slash the week after, right? You need a certain amount of lead up time. I keep referring to it as eight weeks in advance of, of starting a season, right? Because you have to fire up the business side. You have to get guys into camp and you have to take care of all that and how much do we have to test and who's got this and oh that guy's stuck at the border let's let's talk to our people and get him across so i kind of think of it as like eight weeks lead time which leads us to people were talking about the middle of of june will be kind of the no go no go on august 5th that makes perfect sense to me and if you get enough markets that can host games right if saskatchewan uh if calgary edmonton and one more market can host games and you can rotate teams in lesser COVID provinces through it, if people know what I mean by lesser COVID provinces, ones that are struggling with it more. As long as you have those and you can rotate teams to those other ones, you can buy yourself three weeks and four weeks in those other provinces for for COVID to come into, go get back in line as it were. Yeah, no doubt. If you had to guess right now, and not that we are experts in this stuff, and I certainly don't understand how these things trend, uh, but you've mentioned three teams in the West there, Saskatchewan, Calgary, Edmonton. If you had to ponder where the fourth were to go, I mean, it looks like it would be BC if it's in the West right now, right? Like that has to be fair to say, but at the same time, Montreal has got people indoors at the Habs game. So it's like, would you rather have people in BC or would you rather put like a a little Eastern hub out in Montreal and start some Eastern games out there? Even if it's various teams playing there for the first couple of weeks with the Western teams playing in those Western three cities rotating through, it's like the possibility here of having basically two different leagues to start the season. Like we create the divisions, but they play in different parts of the country and they don't really communicate with each other for the first couple of weeks, maybe as long as a month is, I mean, that's a possibility here, depending on what the schedule really ends up looking like. Yeah. I think Montreal at this exact moment, Montreal would be that, that fourth one. And Hey, of the other five teams where it's not going as well, one of those get one of you guys gets the buy and we just rotate you through until we can get you guys back home. And yeah. Yeah, honestly, I think everybody at this point is just, for the most part, just willing to do whatever it takes to get it going. So if you have to start heavy home games and you have to finish heavy road games, as it looks like Saskatchewan, for example, might have to do, okay, we're going to have to bite the bullet and play at Toronto, at Montreal, and at Ottawa to finish the season because that's it, it's it's a pandemic year. And, yeah. you know, I, I, would, I would have you hung by the thumbs if this was a regular year, but in this year we'll we'll take the extended road trips a nice little uh, gift to the new montreal ownership group if they end up being the only place in the east that ends up getting uh, allowed to be able to host some games but uh, as we do return to play we want to remind you that fox 40 has everything that you need to get back onto the field with their latest innovations the fox 40 tri-layer whistle mask and the fox 40 electronic whistle if you want 15 percent off all of your whistle needs visit fox40shop.com and enter the code cfp15 and 
of course, if you would like to be able to get yourself some beer to watch some CFL football games, uh, then you can do that through Sada City Brewing Company. They are great partners of ours as well. Just celebrated our two-month anniversary of being dear, dear friends with our good people at Sada City. It is brewery fresh beer delivered directly to your door in Ontario. You can visit their website at sadacitybeer.com to shop their wide variety of brews and to learn more. And of course, you can use that promo code CFP during checkout to receive free shipping on all orders over $100. Again, to Ontario residents only and must be of legal drinking age. Today, the topic outside of all things riders, we could dive into the Edmonton Elks, which is very exciting. It's going to take a little while to get used to, but I feel like we knew this was trending in that direction for a while. There's going to be lots of people out there that are going to be talking about, wow, the helmets are cool. The jerseys are cool. Why did they keep the double E if they ended up really not using the double E and they ended up changing up the logo? And so we will leave that to those podcasts because this is the breakdown and we could break down uniforms. I mean, you know, we've been doing all sorts of stuff for the last (laughs) couple of months, but what I really want to break down today is looking at McLeod Bethel Thompson signing back with the Toronto Argonauts. Uh, This happened. What was, uh, I guess, Monday was the Mm -hmm. official announcement Uh, back way back in May is when we found out that McLeod Bethel Thompson was going to be back with the Toronto Argonauts. And immediately my mind went to the fact that I believed and I was on the record saying in free agency that I thought he would be with the Toronto Argonauts. If he signed back in the CFL, I thought he would sign back in because he was a free agent technically, even though he had bounced his way through some things in the United States. I believe he was spring league last time that I had seen his name popping up anywhere. But uh, I I really did think that Toronto was going to be the spot. So he lands back in Toronto and makes a lot of sense. And I thought, well, is there going to be a quarterback competition? Because originally Hmm. coming out of 2019, it looked as though you were going to have McLeod Bethel Thompson where it's like, Hey man, congrats. You led the league in a bunch of stuff. That's a great accomplishment, but not a lot of respect for the Argos coming out of 2019. Nobody really feeling all that hot about their promise going forward. And so in comes Matt Nichols and Matt Nichols is with the Argos for a full year and he's doing PSAs and make sure you're washing your hands and all the rest and wear your mask and social distance. And then he's like, you know what? I'm a social distance myself to Ottawa and go hang out with Lapalus. And so you end up having Nick Arbuckle come in. And when, when it was Nichols and McLeod Bethel Thompson, we were all fired up for that quarterback battle because that seemed like a very real, like a gunslinger throwing it up and down the field, McLeod Bethel Thompson to Matt Nichols, who plays the game a little bit more reserved, I think it's fair to say. Nick Arbuckle also plays the game in a more reserved manner, but they seem to have invested more capital. Like they want him to be great. They bring in Dinwiddie. He goes and gets his guy. They bring in Eric Rogers. I mean, there's, there's more elements here that would suggest they are attached to Nick Arbuckle than they would have been attached to Matt Nichols. Were he in the same situation? So I didn't really think that there was anything to talk about with a quarterback battle. And I don't know if this is Mike Hogan having some fun with everybody, but the article comes out on Argonauts.ca Hogan. The quarterback competition just got real. Your reaction to that, the story, the signing, the the ponderance of perhaps having something that I don't think I've really anticipated because I just assumed Nick Arbuck was going to be the guy, but you start to look at the optics of this and you go, okay, well, the other guys that they have in house don't have a whole hell of a lot of experience. Antonio Pipkin, Kelly Bryant, and Nick Tiano. Uh, and they, they're all new to the organization and, and outside of Pipkin, new to the Canadian Football League. So you really start to look at it and you're like, this might be one of those sneaky ones where we all go, ah, you know, it's, it's our buckle team. And then McLeod gets signed, DT, and we go, huh? Maybe. Is it? I mean, it's, you start to wonder a little bit when you really look at it. Yeah, you really do. Um, you, you have to draw a line between Nick Arbuckle and his old offensive coordinator and go, that must be what they want, right? Mm-hmm. That must be the ideal for them. But I, I don't want to be unclear about this. McLeod Bethel Thompson is the most underappreciated quarterback in the CFL in my mind. And I really thought there was at least one other team that should have taken a run at him, and maybe they did. But if if you value having two quarterbacks on your on your roster and you know a, a backup quarterback who can step right in and run this thing with no problem, Toronto is now almost top of the list with their two quarterbacks who can run it. Hamilton's probably one. Toronto is probably two because we saw Arbuckle. I mean, I don't want to hit every point, but we saw Arbuckle do good things in 2019. And McLeod Bethel Thompson led the league in touchdown passes. And a lot of the stuff that people 
used to criticize MBT is just not true and it doesn't show up in the numbers. So I, I think I think Toronto has put a, put themselves in a really good spot and I'm surprised other teams we don't I don't know, but I, I'm surprised you know, maybe someone else didn't go knocking and say, hey, how about coming to our team? Because we who, who is the team who is the team that you wanted to? Because the one I had in mind was Calgary, because I just thought that with Arbuckle out, there might be a natural landing spot if they were to get aggressive and try to get somebody who's a veteran to push Bo Levi Mitchell and not really threaten him for his starting role, but to give them enough comfort to know that, hey, Bo twists an ankle and has to sit out a couple of quarters or, fingers crossed, not worse. If that ends up happening, McLeod Thompson is just going to come in and sling it all over the place. And he's got a great arm and he understands CFL defenses. And, and there was just a lot of positives there to me. I assume a lot of those reasons are why you thought another team was interested in him, assuming it's not Calgary that you're talking about. No, Calgary, if I'm Calgary, if I'm BC, one, my guy is so good that I, I'm not super worried about it. And two, we pay him so much money. If he gets hurt, we're kind of pooched anyway. And so <laughs> I, I honestly, I didn't even, I didn't even really think about those two. I, I wanted to know if Winnipeg early on, I thought, Oh, Winnipeg needs to make a run at MBT because if you're me and you're looking at this going, man, I really like this quarterback. And I really, I, I said it the first day on my show in, in Regina, uh, I'm on Caleros Island. I love Zach Caleros, but we can't ignore that Zach Caleros has had head injuries. And if he was to go down, he went down on the second offensive play of the 2019 season. If that happens to him in Winnipeg, I don't know anything about Sean McGuire because honestly, we haven't seen anything. Winnipeg maybe can't win the Grey Cup. If you had McLeod Bethel Thompson and the rest of that roster, sure, in my mind, a step down from Zach Caleros, but still, you're not out of Grey Cup contention. And I don't know if that just wasn't possible. Cap-wise, they weren't interested, but I... I wanted to hear from somebody that Winnipeg had been kicking the tires on McLeod Bethel Thompson. Winnipeg has to know something about Sean McGuire that we don't. And I, I don't say that as in like, ooh, they're hiding something. or they. I'm just saying they've seen him more than we have seen him. They have to have seen something throughout their evaluation of him that screams, we trust you enough. Because I understand that there yeah. might be salary cap restrictions or they don't have the wiggle room to go and chase somebody that's a bigger name or more established. But this is the the funny conversation around CFL quarterbacking that I always enjoy DT is that everybody wants to have a big name because if you don't have a big name, then they deem it a failure. Like everybody thinks that, well, you got to have Kevin Glenn and Ooh, he's backed up by Drew Tate. Who's the loser? Bo Levi Mitchell. What a, who is, <laughs> what the, what the hell's a Bo Levi? Like it's, you know what I mean? That you always yeah. want to have something that, you know, and when you don't, you get really hesitant around trusting it at all. And for fans, it's most fans, even if they are educated fans, passionate fans of the CFL, they're not diving deep into Bo Levi Mitchell's Eastern Washington or SMU statistics and watching his games. Like, I mean, it's, it's just not a thing that you're doing a lot of the time. So I'm guilty of it. I didn't know how good Bo was going to be, but he opened my eye as one of the, the kind of examples of when a Sean McGuire is sitting there and Winnipeg, who's been really smart about player development at a lot of other positions, if they end up seeing something in him, I'm not going to trust it blindly. If you end up having Zach Claros get dinged and McGuire goes in and he sucks, I'm going to sit here just like everybody else and say, you should have done something else. Like you can't sit there being naked in that backup quarterback spot. Maybe McLeod Bethel Thompson would have been the answer to that. But at, at the same time, they, they have to have enough belief in what he has accomplished thus far to think he can accomplish much more if he's asked to. I was just going through my Sean McGuire stats. Uh, I have him accurate on 33% of his pass attempts in the Canadian Football League yeah. uh, because there have only been three. <laughs> you know, oh, okay. So we, we as fans, right, we as observers from the outside who have not been to practice couldn't possibly know what Sean McGuire is all about. But exactly. people will say to me, and I've heard it out of Winnipeg from uh, various sources, uh, well, I love Sean McGuire. And I think back to... Well, they, they absolutely love Dominic Davis, okay? They absolutely love Sam Hurl, different position. Uh, they let Sam Hurl walk. They absolutely love Taylor Loeffler. No, they let Taylor Loeffler walk. <laughs> Winnipeg just I, loves love. They love love. And <laughs> honestly, it just brings me back to, and not that they're fibbing to anybody and not that they're, you know, people are relaying these stories wrong, but what else are they going to say? What else is Winnipeg going to say? What, is any, what are any of the nine teams going to say? Do you think... 
Jason Moss and Regina will come. Oh, you know what? We really don't like uh, quarterback C. No, like they're going to say, uh, like, here's, here's the thing. Uh, BC, Rick Campbell would be like, you know what? We really think that Will Arndt can get this done for us if Mike Riley were to break his wrist again. Of course he's going to say that. Yeah. Does any of us believe that? It's so funny because it's such a win-win position for Kyle Walters or, or Rick Campbell, any of those coaches, because if you think about it, they say, I, I am tr- there's something noble about trusting someone who yeah. hasn't yet been able to elevate their game to the level of a Bo Levi Mitchell, Mike Riley, Jeremiah Masoli, Trevor, like the established guys that we see in the league where we're like, they can do it. When they're healthy, they can do it. And there's something noble about giving someone an opportunity because as fans, as normal everyday people, we want to see people have success, obviously for your team more than others, but you want to see people get given opportunities and make the most of those opportunities. So I think fans love the idea of somebody getting given that chance and a coach looks really good and a GM looks really good for saying, Sean McGuire, we have anointed you. We believe in you. We hope you can go in and do it. And everybody's like, wow, interesting. They're, gi- they're giving him a chance. And then if he's awful, the other winning position for coaches and GMs is, I mean, we didn't see that coming. You know, we really thought he had more. And yeah, it should yeah. be it should be on them for lacking the foresight, the evaluation. But usually what they hide behind in those spots is, well, we did the evaluation. He was much better than that when we evaluated. I don't know what happened to his game, right? And, and that's where it becomes a funny, it's like a catch-22 where there's no catch. It's just a win-win for them where they give people opportunities. Yeah. They, they try to grow their careers. They save some cat money by doing it, right? The, the optics or the verbiage that's used around it allows them to be able to make these moves and act like it's not a big deal until it becomes a big deal. Right. And, and sometimes you have those spots where a quarterback gets ding like Masoli and in comes Dane Evans. And he had his weaknesses at times, but he played pretty well, all things considered. And when he came in and played pretty well, that's the other winning position where the coach at the gym gets to go. We knew what we had in Dane. I mean, we saw it's like they always spin. It's politician stuff. Right. No yeah, matter sure. what, no matter what the outcome is you spin it to being a positive for your side or your organization. And I assume Winnipeg will do that if they have to, but again, it's for Toronto now, regardless of what happens with our buckle, if McLeod Bethel Thompson goes in and plays well, they look like geniuses. Like they look as though, Oh yeah, we, we weren't really sure. You know, Nick might struggle at the gates. We knew we had an established guy in McLeod Bethel Thompson. It's like, man, it's amazing how you can just take a storyline and be like, we want it to sound like that and then yeah. just put it in place. And uh, Toronto's set up for that, as is Hamilton, as are some of the other teams. That's why people come to the breakdown to get the truth on that, right? <laughs> yeah. By, by giving McLeod Bethel Thompson, and I haven't seen a number on his salary, but he's a quarterback and he's an experienced quarterback, so he yeah. must make some money. Winnipeg can alternately, I, this is, again, I'm assuming they pay Sean McGuire less than McLeod Bethel Thompson makes. They can invest that money in defense and receiver. And they, I mean, they tried to, they've tried to get risk guys who then ended up retiring Bryant Mitchell. They can invest that money somewhere else. And, and but they honestly, likely already have, right? Like oh, it, 100%. based on the, the guys that they have in house already and that they've been able to maintain from a championship winning team. That's what I'm saying is I assume they've already invested that money. And that's yeah, probably yeah. the main reason why this is. And again, not a shot at Sean McGuire. It's not even about getting McLeod Bethel Thompson. It's the idea that you would probably be making more of an effort to not just go with guy on your depth chart. We've all played Madden, right? Like when you're building out a roster and you have a salary cap, there's some things where you're like, well, I'd love to have a 99 overall guy at every position, even at backup. And then your cap yeah. hits and you're like, ooh, but I can't. I'm going to have to eat it on this one and just hope that something doesn't go wrong. So it's, again, that's the video game world. This is real life. But I would assume that's a big chunk of the reasoning that you're speaking to. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. A lot of teams, when you look at the rosters, you go, okay, well, they're, they're, they're paying their first quarterback and they're absolutely not paying their second quarterback. I think... Hamilton and Toronto now are, are the exemptions to that. But I mean, you have to, you have to get lucky to win the gray cup. Just like uh, there's an old story about Peyton Manning and people wonder, well, why, why don't, why isn't Curtis Painter, Painter ever get reps? How come no backup gets reps? How come you don't let this guy practice? And the, the quarterback coach said at the time, well, if 18 referring to Manning goes down, we're effed. And we don't practice being effed, <laughs> right? If Mike Riley goes down, BC is not winning the gray cup. So why, uh, there would be a philosophy of why spend even a nickel on your backup quarterback. If, yeah. Ka- if, if Bo Levi Mitchell goes down, 
I don't know that Dakota Prukop has taken them to the promised land. So is there really any benefit to it? Uh, and so Toronto gives itself some cover and yeah, just one on the Winnipeg one. Cause I had to go back and pick up yeah. the names. Uh, I remember when Russ Mikna was a thing in Winnipeg. He was the next best thing in Winnipeg. He was the number four quarterback in 05 behind T. Martin, Spurgeon, Wynn, and Kevin Glenn. And I don't remember the circumstances that put Russ Mikna in for 57 passes in 2005. What? But uh, we, yeah, he, I, I just remember when it was Mikna time. And because the backup quarterback is everybody's favorite. And he was like the third backup quarterback. That's we were, uh... The that's, city was on Mikna. That's before my time, but hearing like just from doing the numbers of quarterbacks and the average number of throws for guys, hearing that somebody who was a fourth string got 57 throws is like, what the hell happened? How is that possible? Um, but hey, Spurgeon yeah. Wynn and T Martin, maybe not the most sustainable thing, even behind Kevin Glenn. So it's that might explain a little bit of it. Oh, I don't think Spurgeon Wynn, pardon me, I don't think Spurgeon Wynn accumulated no stats that year according okay. to Pro Football Archives. T. Martin was 40 of 95. That may indicate why T. Martin was not in the game much longer. Uh, Charles Roberts, though, I think the running back was the place to go. 17 and a half yards per attempt on his passes. That may be the overlooked guy. Uh, uh, spe speaking of Charles season. Roberts, when I was watching the 2001 Grey Cup for fun last week, uh, there's a play I laughed at. Just before we get back to all things McLeod Bethel Thompson here as we wander yeah. around. Um there was a play that I saw where they went with like a, almost like a, a shotgun snap and a little jet handoff, almost on a reverse to Charles Roberts. And then he lines up to throw anybody who's watched the 01 great cup or lived it in person will know exactly what I'm talking about. He goes to throw and he doesn't really get hurt that hard, hit that hard, but he comes down and he's hurt. And I love so much. They cut to a shot of the sideline of the Winnipeg coaching staff going, Oh my God. We just got our star running back hurt on asking him to throw the ball. And oh. there's about out of two minutes of television time, which is an eternity, as you know, Derek, mm -hmm. out of the two minutes, at least a minute 45 is spent just on the Winnipeg coaching staff and them just all touching their face and being like, oh, man, this is all we're going to be remembered for in this great cup if we lose. So, um, yeah, it was, it was amazing to see it. But, okay, let's get into McLeod Bethel-Thompson and what he is as a quarterback because, um, as you say, there's a lot of storylines around him that you, as somebody who has broken this stuff down better than anybody in the country, myself included, like, you know the intricacies, the truths, the lies. And I, I want to hear your take on what McLeod Bethel-Thompson is coming out of 2019 and some of the misnomers yeah. that you mentioned earlier that you think people are giving him an unfair shake. So uh, fair to say Toronto was a terrible football team in 2019, yeah? Yep. Four and 14, three of those wins came against Ottawa, who was the only team with the worst record. Toronto was not a good football team. They were not a good offense. I think they had to run, they had to throw the ball like pushing on 80% of the time because they could not run the ball. James Wilder Jr. got, I believe the number is 1.3 yards before contact, which is crazy low. So they went, let's, we have to throw the ball. Uh, let's do it. McLeod Bethel Thompson, one of the criticisms of him is, well, he piled up all his stats in garbage time. I can't tell, many, tell you how many times I've heard, well, he's a garbage time guy. So I went, Okay, well, let's see how much of it was truly garbage time. So I set the following parameters for garbage time for McLeod Bethel Thompson. Down two scores in the fourth quarter. Let's, let's, let's just take that and see how much of that was, uh, his numbers. He threw for 4,000 yards in the season. 440 of them came in garbage time. Hmm. That's a hair over 10%. That's not a lot. And it's not out of proportion with other guys whose teams had better records but did play some in garbage time. One, gosh, what is this? 15% of his attempts came in garbage time. You'd expect you, you throw more in that time than, than run. Makes perfect sense. Uh, 22 touchdowns and 11 interceptions were not garbage time. And 22 touchdowns is right with the league leaders in the Canadian Football League, period. Mm -hmm. So I, the first thing that I want to remind, let people know of McLeod Bethel Thompson is he did not pile stuff up in garbage time. That just did not happen. It wasn't even 500 yards of a 4,000-yard season in which he was not the starter for all 18 games. So that is just false. False. Interesting. Okay, so when I looked at this, uh, I do think of him as a garbage-time quarterback coming out of that season. But your numbers dissuade 
some of, of my feelings on that because it's proven out that with those parameters, obviously, as you just outlined, um, that he was not that guy. The thing that I think negatively affects McLeod Bethel-Thompson and gives people this feeling about him is that all we remember about Toronto is them losing and him throwing and then losing yeah. and him throwing, right? And so naturally, when you piece those two things together, even without the result of understanding how he was performing when they were down by whatever they were down, you just, you associate Argos through a lot, they were down a lot. And so when I look at um, the Argos score differential, snaps on the year, I, I thought this was amazing oh, yeah. when I put this back back together at the end of 2019, maybe the end of the regular season, but um, it was the number of snaps taken by the Toronto Argonauts with a lead of 20 points or more. Again, only had four wins. So uh, they took 26 snaps on the year. Those were probably all in like an Ottawa game or something. 26 snaps the entire year leading by 20 or more. Leading by one point to 19 points, they took 212 snaps. Tied, they took 156. Trailing by one point to 19 points, 440 snaps on the year. And how many snaps did they take losing by 20 points or more? 193, which is almost equal to what they took leading by 1 to 19 points. So they took a ton of snaps down by somewhere between 1 to 19 points. Like that was their sweet spot, unfortunately, for them. And the other part of it was Darrell Walker and the fact that he ended up basically going on this trajectory where week 2, week 3, week 4 back in 2019 – he just didn't do like he didn't do anything. He didn't get the targeted touch percentage was not there. His production grade was not. He got 13% of their targets, then 9.2%, then 8.8. And then they went on the road. And I think this week five game, if not mistaken, was the one in Calgary where he got 22% of their targets in that game. And Darrell Walker played into this narrative, I believe, as well about McLeod Bethel Thompson, because once he just started gunning, because as you said, they had to throw the ball. And they're like, well, why aren't we getting the ball to our best playmakers? We're losing all these games to start off the year. Again, all you remember is him throwing it to Darrell Walker. And even if he was spraying it, even if it was inefficient, it was just you were constantly seeing ball coming out of McLeod Bethel Thompson's hand, Darrell Walker being on the other side. And for a while, they rode that wave in the second half of the season where he got 25% of their targets, pass or run. In week 12, he got 21% of their targets in week 13. He got 22% of their targets in week 15. And then they finished off the year 8%, 8%, 9%. It was like, let's give it a good go. 25, 23, 22, 888. It was like, okay, season's over. Let's get the hell out of here. We're done. Let's wrap this thing up. We're not going to make the playoffs. So I think that played into it as well, where people saw kind of like these empty calories in games going to Darrell Walker because Walker wasn't blowing anybody away in 2019, but he's getting a lot of balls. And I think to a lot of people, the math in their head, maybe just with their eyes is, well, if he's getting a lot of balls and they're producing all these touchdown passes and all these yards, and they're still not winning games, ergo, he must be a garbage time quarterback. And, mm-hmm. and I think all of that played into that assumption. Uh, and I think that's why that's dogged him. But I, I'll say this too, man, if he gets in, with Toronto and they win a couple of games for whatever reason, he beats Nick Arbuckle out. Arbuckle gets dinged. If he goes in and he wins a couple of games and it's not empty calories and he's throwing and leading them towards wins as part of team football with whatever the Argonauts are creating, this narrative is going to go away really fast, fast. really fast. Yeah. I, I just going through some, some other stuff with him, like, I have a, a stat for adjusted accuracy of McLeod Bethel Thompson for this is for all game situations. So you take every pass that's thrown, you break it down by where it goes, how deep and how wide considering boundary and field. And how often is that pass in the CFL accurate? Use that then to adjust and see what a guy's accuracy is. Uh, number two, most accurate quarterback in the league tied with Andrew Harris. Hmm. And that adjusts for the depth of his target being quite a bit deeper than, than uh, pardon me. I think I said Andrew Harris, Trevor Harris, obviously. Uh, is the one I meant. And you go, okay, well, his, his accuracy is good. And you see that falter a bit when, you know, in these garbage time situations where, okay, that makes perfect sense. He's got to force the ball in. Not everything can be that week eight miraculous comeback game against uh, Winnipeg. Sometimes he's in some terrible situations in garbage time and you just have to YOLO a ball and, and try to make a play. <laughs> but when he, I mean, when he is in the pocket without being pressured, number four in passer rating in the CFL at almost 109. That's with the elite quarterbacks in the Canadian Football League and, and the quarterbacks for whom 
uh, passer rating is a, is a real, uh, their, their offense is set up to, to get a nice passer rating. There's, there's so much. Uh, people who, who want to say garbage time will totally forget about week eight against Winnipeg. Yeah. They're down 20 to nothing late in, late in the second quarter. They fight back to 20 to 10. They're down 27-21 with a buck 41 to go. They're on their own, wrote it down, 38-yard line. MBT leads a nine-play drive, which includes a 14-yard scramble because the cat has some nice scrambling numbers as well. <laughs> yeah. A 14-yard scramble on first down deep into Winnipeg territory. Bam, I believe the final touchdown was to SJ Green. They beat the Grey Cup champions, eventually the Grey Cup champions, when they were down 20 points in the second quarter. Yeah. That yeah. is, if that was Bo Levi Mitchell, if that was Vernon Adams this past year, we would still be talking about it and we would get browbeaten with it uh, on every Montreal Alouettes broadcast from now till the end of time. But because it was MBT and the Argos were awful, no one, no one seems to remember that eh, Toronto beat the Winnipeg Blue Bombers on the strength of McLeod Bethel Thompson. So I don't know how much this plays into the the thought around MBT and what he is, but I want to present this because you just mentioned the scrambling, right? And he's got some really nice statistics on it. And like for me, the percentage of pass plays that he takes off and scrambles, 3.9%, which might not sound like a lot. That's a pretty good percentage for a guy that took as many called pass play snaps as he did in 2019 yeah. to run on 3.9. And he, here's the thing too. Like yards per scramble, nine, nine yeah. yards per, like when he, when he ran, he took off. And again, you're saying, oh, of course, because they're all expecting pass because you're throwing all the time. Yeah. But when he ran, he actually made a difference. And this is what I wanted to bring up. How much of our lack of respect for this guy across the board, I'm saying our lack of respect as in most of the CFL who, when you ask them to name the top 10 quarterbacks, he's probably not going to be on the list or he's going to be on the fringe of the list for whatever reason. Even though, we, again, we've said he's led in all these statistical categories, he's been really effective. How much of it is that he is quirky? Like, he is different. He's viewed as being a, I don't want to say necessarily a gunslinger, but he is a high-effort uh, passer who is constantly running around the field and doing these fun, silly things because he enjoys the game of football. And usually we look at yeah. that as something worth celebrating. But for some reason with him... You know, the the interviews that he gives and how inquisitive he is, and he's a deep thinker. And he and I don't think a lot of people that are CFL fans are sitting there and huddling around their radios and listening to Argo's press conferences on Wednesdays. But I do believe that there's something about this guy's personality that plays into the idea that we can't give him more respect. And I, I'm I'm here for giving him more respect because yeah. of his personality. But I'm wondering whether or not you think that plays into it, because I do think that there's an element of the personal side here that plays into the opinion of the professional quarterback. I wonder, because that he's a different personality, but I think that really hampered James Franklin once he left Edmonton. Yeah. Was the perception of his personality and that he didn't fit exactly within what we think of as football player. Um, I don't know, like... Bo Levi Mitchell can be goofy too. He's wearing headbands and he's cracking. But jokes. when he, this is what I'm thinking though, is when he does it, we think it's cool. Like for some yeah. reason, Bo gets away with stuff and we think it's, and again, I understand not everybody listening to this thinks it's cool. But what I'm saying is like tatted up headband swagger on the field, talking trash, little Texas accent. Like yeah. pe people dig that. That seems cool. Mike Riley, grizzled gray beard, veteran of the league, iron Mike, cool. tough guy. Cool. McLeod says something goofy. We're like, what a weirdo. Like if for some reason he doesn't get away with any of that <laughs> stuff. And we don't look at the positives of any of that stuff. And it's actually amazing to me because we're always talking about Toronto trying to market, right? Trying to market, trying to get fans or stars to come out. Nick Arbuckle is going to be the shiny new toy now with Ryan Dinwiddie and pinball Clements and John Murphy. And like it, every two, three years, it's a different regime. It's Jim pop. It's Mark Trespin. It's uh, Corey Chamberlain. It's, it's constantly just like this rotating door of quarterbacks and head coaches and GMs and coming through there over the last 10 years. And it's amazing to me that somebody who is willing to offer up some of their personality yeah. has not been embraced for it because for me, when I, I see an athlete in a big market that 
wants to be, and I understand there's issues with this in terms of coverage of the Argos and all the rest to actually understand he has personality, but usually when an athlete is a key player on a roster as he was in 2019 and adds in statistical efficiency, effectiveness, and they're willing to offer up their personality, we celebrate them for that. We say, that is so refreshing. And some people around the Argos, I get the sense, are really frustrated that he has not in the past been more respected for being willing to offer that up because there's a lot of dry interviews out there. And I have yeah. a feeling that they're going to try to, to use a little bit of that moving forward. But here's the catch-22. You can't do that when Nick Arbuckle is supposed to be the guy. Like, you can't have yeah. the backup quarterback being the most interesting person in the room and then we go over to Nick Arbuckle after the game and he doesn't have much to say. And that's nothing against Nick. It's just Nick isn't really that guy. So I don't, I don't know what the point of that is. I just find the, the, yeah. the, the personal dynamic of the way that we, we respond to what McLeod Bethel Thompson offers up to us as football fans to be intriguing because I don't understand. Do you think it's the shower shoes speech from Bull Durham <laughs> in play, right? You have fungus on your shower shoes. Well, what are you talking about? When you win 20 in the show, you're you're quirky, you're funny. Here, you're a slob. You're in the minors, you're a slob. Do you feel like it's because if, Tor- if Toronto was 14 and four, we would embrace McLeod Bethel Thompson being quirky? Do you think I, that has something to do with it? I'd love to find out. Yeah. Like, like I, I think I it, would, it would be really interesting to see if, because again, think about this, when you're winning, and I know this from covering Jeremiah Masoli up close and personal for all of his Ticats career, when the Ticats are losing or Jeremiah wasn't playing, he's not saying diddly. But when the Ticats are winning, Jeremiah is probably still not saying diddly, but he might. Like he's, because winning yeah. makes it easier for you to open up and be honest about things. So, I mean, if we are getting the McLeod Bethel Thompson that people in and around the Argonauts, I'm not going to say gush about, but that they enjoy interacting with because he's just different and interesting. If you were getting that during four and 14, what would you get at 14 and four? And then how much, you know, we'd be seeing these profiles on sports center that would probably be so quirky. They'd throw some fans off. They say, I can't believe that guy's like that. I had no idea. But if you open your eyes and your ears to what he is as a person, it's pretty marketable. If you want to just market, hey, football should be fun. And this guy throws the ball all over the place. But I go back to, you can't do that when Nick Arbuckle is trying to establish his career and they've chosen him. They've anointed him as the guy. Because even from the, yeah. the Mike, Mike Hogan article here, the acquisition leads to one question that will be on everyone's mind. Is there a potential starting quarterback controversy brewing? Uh, that's not how I view it, Dinwiddie explained. We know there are injuries in this league, so that's why we have uh, to have two. I feel like those guys will work well together. They're good leaders, and they're going to try and make each other better at the same time. When asked about the competition, Bethel Thompson had nothing but great things to say about both Arbuckle and Pipkin and is looking forward to working with the entire group. So again, it's like everybody's happy-go-lucky, go into camp, do your best, and all things being equal, they're going to go with Arbuckle, which means we're not going to find out what a refreshed uh, more experienced McLeod Bethel Thompson coming off of leading the league in these important statistical categories is yeah. going to look like and how he would have interacted with the media and, and things of that nature after that. It's thus McLeod Bethel Thompson remains in my mind underappreciated for, yes. for what he is. He's, he's a deep throwing passer. He is very accurate with the football. Uh, I don't notice his, uh, uh, let me skip across. I didn't check out his adjusted interception rate. Okay, it's a little high. He had five drop by defenders. It's a little bit high, but you're throwing the ball all over the yard because you have to. Uh, number one in accuracy in non-garbage time situations, 22 touchdowns and 70% completion rate. Can I interest anybody in 70% completion rate <laughs> on a guy who throws the ball 10 yards down the field per attempt? Yeah. There, there may be some of this... Um, that is stylistically we like what Nick has versus we like what McLeod Bethel Thompson has. Maybe what, maybe what Dinwiddie did with Bo Levi Mitchell in Calgary, which was deep, deep, boom, boom, uh, is not maybe what he wants to do with Nick Arbuckle. Arbuckle statistically profiles out a lot like Trevor Harris, at least mm-hmm. from that 19th season, which was a real change from Bo, even though they were running uh, the same offense, like they're playing for the same team. Uh, do they want something shorter and controlled and we can cure some of our offensive line troubles by getting the ball out of his hands quick and we can rely on John White out of the backfield. And oh, by the way, 
our, our receivers actually, well, we don't know for sure, but if it's in the red zone, Eric Rogers can catch it. So your, your red zone numbers will probably be pretty great. I'm, I'm curious. That's why I want the season to start, right? So we can see what's in Dinwiddie's mind. What's he been ruminating on for the last 18 months as he now gets to run his own team and, and pick his own player. Yeah, I had a Zoom call with Dinwiddie uh, a while back just to, to ask him some questions about some roster stuff. And I was working on a story, I think, for CFL.ca that I needed some quotes from him on. And I said, hey, I, I appreciate you making time for me on sh such short notice. And I forget where he was, but he said, it's fine, man. I'm not doing anything. I'm just sitting here staring at a whiteboard every day. And he was actually, exactly. he was sitting in an office with a whiteboard behind him, just a bunch of scribbled stuff. And I was like, oh yeah, is, is anybody allowed in the building? And this is, I think, during the third wave in Ontario that was so bad. And he said, no, I'm in here by myself every day. I come in, I scan my card. I sit here, I work on stuff. And then I scan my card out and I go home. <laughs> it's like, man. Wow. So yeah, the again, the pressure of that quarterbacking spot that the Argo, and again, I'm not going to say that they put themselves in because it's a good spot to be in. You need two quarterbacks. And I think a lot of teams will wish they had McLeod Bethel Thompson, if something were to happen to their starter, but yeah, the idea of him sitting there and, and as you say, ruminating on ideas and topics uh, is kind of amazing for me. My last question on uh, today's edition of the breakdown DT is, which I've really enjoyed this by the way, because I, I do find him to be such an intriguing character who yeah. has the more interesting quarterback story now because i thought nobody would touch hamilton but is it hamilton or toronto that's the more interesting quarterback story going in because hmm. honestly i i get the sense the tie cats are going to go into training camp and if jeremiah masoli looks like they remember him looking to start 2019 yeah it's it's really hard for dane evans to get that starting job and i don't think that that's a shot at dane because i think dane's got all the talent and potential in the world but I do think that in terms of true intrigue in a training camp, and especially like a 21-day training camp that might not even have preseason games where you're just going to be battling day in, day out to get ready, I think Toronto's more interesting. I think they just created themselves a more interesting, I don't, again, I don't want to call it a battle, but just the situation that they are now in, the question mm -hmm. of going with the guy on six games experience who plays a very different style than the guy who just most recently led you to the league lead in some categories here. That, that's a pretty juicy storyline. Yeah. I, I think if I consider overall, what do I believe about one and two? I think Hamilton might be better set if they, if their starter goes down. But to me, uh, when I look at Hamilton, I see Jeremiah Masoli is number one and Dane Evans is number two. I see more of a division between them than I would see between Arbuckle and McLeod Bethel Thompson. And mm -hmm. some of that is my professed love for MBT. But I, I just think that I think Masoli is, is, is good. And he is in my mind, clearly the 14 game starter. If things, if he stays healthy in Hamilton, I don't think there's any reason to go to Dane Evans. If, if uh, Masoli is, is ready to go. Toronto, I see that being, I see those two being a lot closer together. And when Toronto was Matt Nichols and McLeod Bethel Thompson, in my mind, I mean, I, I, I didn't pay starter money to one and not starter money to the other. I was like, uh, why, why wouldn't McLeod start over, over? <laughs> and it, I mean, this is just McLeod offers me stuff that even a real good, real good, uh, solid game managing quarterback like Matt Nichols does not. So why not? So you come to me and I'm like, well, wh why wouldn't he, if, if after four weeks, Toronto isn't going great guns in a division in which they should clearly be the second best team, yeah, why wouldn't it be MBT time? Can you imagine if we end up getting Nichols versus McLeod Bethel Thompson, but they're in different color uniforms? Like, <laughs> <laughs> like just oh, some of the stuff that you started to think about, which by the way, the Edmonton, I know that we just passed it over earlier, but those Edmonton uniforms are going to look cool as hell on the field. Like once they actually get out there and they start to run around, I was actually thinking about it for some reason, the offensive line, you know, that shot that they use, especially in the playoffs. That's, oh, yeah. that's down low, like between the officials legs as he's standing there and saying, Hey, okay. Yeah. You're a yard off the ball. Okay. Receiver. You're good. You're on the ball. And they zoom in and the breath is coming out from the helmets. Think about how cool that shot is going to look when you zoom into the trenches and it's the Edmonton offensive line against, let's say, like the Calgary defensive line in a West Semi, something like that. And you end up having uh, all the breath coming out and then all the antlers on the green and yellow helmets 
that are down low. I'm like, man, that, that I don't know if that played into their idea of, of to going with, with the antlers on the helmet, but there's some really cool creative stuff that's available there for them to use uh, that I think is going to create some pretty cool visuals moving forward. Oh yeah, no, let's not kid ourselves. When when we're done here, I'm going on whatever the Esks or the Elk shop. I said S shop, I own Morley Scott five bucks. <laughs> and I said it again, so I own 10 bucks as a fine. I'm going on Elk shop to find some of their stuff because that logo on the hat and on the shirt where it's just the Elk logo, oh yeah, that looks really good. They did a terrific job. Uh, just on the record, so we all have this uh, out in front of everybody who enjoys listening to us here. We all owe Marley, Morley Scott five bucks. It's just it's the rule of, <laughs> of a CFL play-by-play is that in perpetuity, everybody owes Morley Scott five dollars, which I think we're all okay with at this point uh, in our lives. That's but a good dude. Yeah, he is. He is a great guy. Uh, this has been a great podcast, DT. Thank you as always, man. It's great to catch up with you and uh, looking forward to listening into the sports cage for the rest of the week. Let people know what you have going on. Oh, gosh, uh, CFL insider Farhan Lalji joins us every Wednesday to give us the scoop. We'll inevitably talk about schedules and with Saskatchewan making its announcement that, hey, we could be open by July 11th. Uh, the season gets a little more likely. Glenn yeah. Suter on Thursdays in fine tailored suits. We got all the CFL talk on the cage. Beautiful. And uh, I'm starting to get the sense when I see the quotes coming out from at CFL underscore news on Twitter that Farhan at some point is just going to announce the schedule himself. Like he seems to know the schedule yep. better better than most people that are in and around the CFL right now. So I'm just looking forward to the like you know what you should actually do. You should try to trick him into leaking a game or two because he obviously knows what's happening in behind the scenes. Just go ahead and just say, uh, you know, Farhan, if I were to uh, <laughs> invite some family in uh, coming up on uh, August eighth, should they uh, should they bring bombers colored BC colors? find something there try to tease him into it and uh, and see whether or not he'll spill any of the goods but as we get closer and closer of course to return to play don't forget that fox 40 uh 15% off promo code cfp15 thank you to them as always dave foxcroft and everybody at fox 40 for supporting us and making sure that we are ready to return to play because of course down the road here's the cfl get set it's going to be high school it's going to be u sports it's going to be cjfl there's so many other things and we want to be able to give you that promo code so you can save yourself a couple of dollars because as we all know coming out of covid getting those teams all back up and running and all the rest every little bit will help so again use that promo code cfp15 and of course get the beers uh cfp sawdustcitybeer.com head check out their whole variety the summer lineup is coming out we got some great tastings as well with sam corbet the brewmaster coming up on our youtube page he is at dt on sc i am at tsn underscore marsh thank you for checking out the breakdown we're back next week as we dive deep on another issue in and around the canadian football league